0: Escape from plan A. Escape 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 From Plan A. Hey listeners, welcome to Escape from Plan A. This is Teen. We're gonna do uh this pod a little bit differently. Uh, usually in this pod, we, on this podcast, we have a conversation with two or more people uh, and we'll have a guest or something like that. And the reason I think is because we have always thought that there were a lot of conflicting things, opposing things that Asian people would say online and to each other that didn't always um you know, that created conflict that we're not always compatible with each other. And so we wanted to make this podcast a uh, a platform through which some of the more difficult things um to wrap a rational conversation around, we would try to do it on this podcast. And that's why we've always done it with different, you know, with a diverse group of people, making sure that as best we could, that there were men and women represented, that there were Asians of different ethnic backgrounds represented with different class perspectives, um, and with different gender and sexuality and different politics. We wanted a diverse set of voices, um, to be able to be contextualized within what would, we, we hoped would become a sort of, um, Continuous and singular conversation that was going on. And I think for the most part, um, we've made some progress there. And I think, though, there are times when there's an opportunity to say that there is a unity as to what Asian people are saying to each other uh, and online and elsewhere. And right now, I think, is one of those times because I think I sense that there is a lot of there's something going on where in the context of the coronavirus pandemic, especially in America, that there is a sense of worry and unease ranging to fear because I think without a doubt, the COVID-19 Pandemic has been racialized, and I think Amanda, who was on a previous pod where we talked about the coronavirus, uh, calls it a racialized vector of disease, and the need to do that. And I think you can see this in the media where they, you know, initially called it the China virus. There are them, there are those who want to call it the Wuhan virus. There's a whole fucking political fight now about. Should we just call it the Wuhan virus, so we don't forget where it came from that it is an intentional uh, desire to racialize to pin this onto someone blameworthy and because in America we see things along the lines of race, uh, it seems to be being pinned on on Asian people and I woke up this morning and i and I Saw another, yet another article, this one in The Gothamist, about a young man named Abraham Choi, Korean-American, I gather, by his last name, who was assaulted at Penn Station while he was taking a piss at the Penn Station bathroom. I know exactly which one he's talking about because there's only one. So I can really understand the space. Like, I can put myself into the spaces where this is happening. Someone spit on the back of his head. Um. He says, I was minding my own business. I do not seem threatening at all. I'm a typical Asian male who dresses like a typical worker in the IT gaming industry. Then I heard a sound of spitting. And guess what? A a glob of spit was on my head. I was shocked more than angry. I asked, why? Why would you do that? You Chinese fuck, he said. All of you should die and all of you have the Chinese virus. I mean, it's not complicated to put together what's going on here. Um... You know, a couple days ago, same thing. I think it was also a Korean American woman who was uh, harassed and assaulted right near there on 34th Street. Um, elderly Asian man was pushed to the ground. Um, same thing, something about the Chinese virus, things like this. I mean, it's going. And these are just the cases where people are physically assaulted, but the, it's a spectrum of, of things, right? It's a spectrum of, Things going so right now, it's going up to assault, and it begins. However, even with offhand things that people say, even even well-intentioned things that people say um, about how this is essentially something that the Chinese did to us, um, and, and for whatever reason, because the Chinese are backwards, because the Chinese are. Actively trying to create a, a bio weapon, as Tom Senator Tom Cotton had suggested, and there is a, there's an alarming. I mean, things happen in, in 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 a context of place and time, and the fact that Mike Pence is the uh, coronavirus czar, he's the man that's been really put in charge of the response. If you go read his um, statement about China, it's available, at uh, put in the show notes. But he gave a remarkable speech about China where he um, clearly didn't write it because it's actually a fairly knowledgeable speech about the history of China and the history of Chinese and U.S. relations. It goes into his belief that this country has been infiltrated by Chinese agents that there are Chinese spies among us and that the U S is currently in a state of like a cold war, essentially with China. This is the man at the head of the American response to, um, a, you know, one of the biggest public health crises, certainly in any of our lifetimes that is being pinned, um, on the Chinese and, uh, therefore, on Asian people, because this is a racialized society. So it's concerning. It's concerning because I think as we all have seen, like we're living through an extraordinary moment at an extraordinary time. And I only imagine that people are feeling a lot of stress. I'm feeling a lot of stress. Um, My girlfriend, for example, really doesn't feel safe taking the subway anymore because we, you know, she wears um, a face mask. And sometimes you get assaulted for wearing a face mask. Sometimes you get assaulted for not wearing a face mask. But the key is you're Asian and you look vulnerable. And that means Asian women in particular are at risk out there as well as the elderly. And so I think one thing I would like to advocate is that Asian men, especially able bodied Asian men, you know, not take the attitude that we're better than this and we're going to you know, hold our nose above this and that we don't see race and all this stuff. And I just hear this a lot. And that's a point, And that's one of those things that I think is part of the discourse that often led to um, disagreement and contradictions and that we would try to hash out in rational con- conversations in terms of like how important racial identity actually was to you. Uh, but I think in this case, in these times, I think we can start to see how a lot of those things don't matter when you're talking about stepping up and, you know, taking a certain kind of social responsibility because the truth is in America, you are, you're going to be seen as, um. let's put it this way when there's an oppressed minority, the pattern definitely is they like to split them up. They don't like to see us standing up for each other. They want to They want us to be fearful. They want us to be, um, just watching out for ourselves and not each other. And that weakens us. And so to the extent that you can, I think we do have to take a responsibility to watch out after each other. Um, especially the vulnerable, especially children, especially the elderly, especially women. Um, you know, just be a little bit more aware that although you don't see race, I'm just saying, for those of you who think that way, and you don't have to if you don't want to, you're not conforming with the social reality that envelops you, right? So you're, you're literally in your own little world when you do that. If you want to see the world more clearly, if you want to be more in touch with reality, you're going to have to accept That others do see it. So I think right now especially um, is a time that we have to be aware of our surroundings and aware of our environment to protect ourselves and also to um, exercise our responsibilities as members of society to watch out for each other. And remember, we're just we're all part of the same society, right? We're just you don't have to see it as watching out after your fellow Asian. You're just watching out after a fellow human being who happens to be targeted because of their race. So I don't think that's controversial, you know? Um, so that out of the way, I guess, how do you, I guess what I'm trying to struggle with is how do you really digest, how do you contextualize what's going on? I mean, for me, it's probably pretty easy because I'm not really, I'm just responsible for myself. You know, I don't have a, I don't have a family depending on me. Um, I mean, I'm worried about my parents, you know, I'm worried about my, um, I'm worried about my sister, I'm worried about um, my nephews, I'm worried about my girlfriend, I'm worrying about my friends, things like this, but I don't really have the, I don't think I, I'm one of the less burdened people. Uh, I'm mostly watching out after myself. And I'm just wondering, you know, if there are people that are really depending on you um, and you got to keep your shit together. Sorry, there's kids out in the hallway. Um, how do you contextualize what's going on? Because I think it's, you know, something that now cannot and has to be thought about. You know, and I think for a long time, Asian people in America and elsewhere in the quote West, got away with not thinking about it because we were seen as marginal to the main front of racial conflict in America, which is the black and white conflict, if that's what you want to call it, or the black and white divide. And we could um, sort of sit on the sidelines, you know, but I think this time our numbers have been called, and the same thing actually, you know, to be honest, happened during 9/11, where it was split, you know, by the American perception of brown people and Arabs and Muslims or whatever they want a word they wanted to use that really represented people that look like they came from um, the part of the world that we think terrorists came from. We all know how accurate the average American's conception of the global map is so it was skin based racial based they were killing sikhs in the uh in the aftermath of 9 11. sikhs are a religious minority in india and um to target them obviously as uh, not to say that targeting muslims was in any way justified but it just goes to show you um the scope of the pro- you know the, the scope of the danger is broadly on racial lines right not not anything specific to your background other than your race and your appearance so I think that the way to the way i I'm not I guess I don't really have any advice, but i'm I'm more just saying how I've been thinking about this is that the situation with the the pandemic it's not this it's not like the world is just sort of going on as normal and then this thing happened and uh you know we're gonna we're, we're we're just specifically being targeted and it's a really shit time for us i think in a way it can be comforting to think that way to say oh this will be a temporary blip and you know we'll soon forget it and we'll get past it i think that's probably true of the um pandemic itself it'll probably be a few months long event and then you know it'll it'll pass but i think that that would be a failure i think in my opinion to seize on the opportunity to look at more clearly what's going on in america and around the world because i think one thing that does frustrate me about asian american identity and by that i mean just not any not in a particular stereotype of us but something that i have seen in us and i've seen in myself is this tendency for us to recuse ourselves from every conflict to to stay safe and to think about ourselves and to say sometimes um you know, fuck the world, you know, I, I'm just here to, to do me. And I think the temptation to be like that right now is probably higher than ever. But I think that's also going to take a psychic toll on people, you know, because you're never going to feel more isolated than during these kinds of events. And I think although the event may pass, um, the stigma is not just going to be some residue of an event beyond our control and beyond anyone's control, but is part of a comprehensive political ideology that wants to confront the rise of Asia. And it's a weird and uncomfortable, or even maybe uninteresting, depending on what kind of person you are. But nevertheless that is i think what's happening and i think if you paid attention to what was going on with the um trump administration and and steve bannon that the Ameri- america is looking for a new enemy we are always looking for an enemy and they could not have been more upfront about who that enemy is going to be it's going to be china um in steve bannon's you know own Words right, he said that this is an enemy unlike any we have ever faced. Kiran Skinner of the State Department had famously said that China represents a challenge and a threat to America unlike any in history. Just because of not just because of the scope and scale of that challenge, but also because it was a non-Caucasian meaning uh, civilization. Meaning, at least the Soviets were white. Was her point, and. Kiran Skinner is a smart person, and I don't think she was speaking out of a sense of racial animus. She was speaking out of a sense of being frank about how um, America was thinking about these issues, and she even said that it was a product of um, an intelligence community and in a State Department that was dominated by white men, and. You know, she basically said what's happening. And I think it's hard. It's easy. I think the Asian, disc- Asian American discourse tries to depoliticize itself to say we are subjects of, you know, the racism and ignorance of, you know, the whites and of others and that, um, you know, there's structural Things in place were sort of overlooked, but also subject to the racialized nature of how our media institutions work, of how our educational and political institutions work. Now we're just not appreciated and we're not seen, you know. But I think if you are willing to look at what's actually going on in the mainstream of America and not in our own little corner of experience here. That a lot of what we're experiencing is front and center to the absolute mainstream of what America is doing. Um, and so we have to understand that Asian American issues are not sideline issues. Our issue is not that we're off to the margins. Our issue is not that we're ignored or that we're not seen. The issue now is more concrete and specific than than that. And the issue is that we're living in a political, in a global environment where America and China seem to be heading towards, or already in a major, major conflict. And it's not going to be like anything we have seen in the past. And as the um, former State Department official said it, this is not like the US versus the Soviet Union. Which defined my childhood. This is something even deeper. And I don't know, I mean, I, I agree with the unprecedented part. And so I don't know if there's necessarily a way to predict what's gonna happen in the future, but I would say that it is time for us to not think of ourselves as being just sort of these small, insignificant people. And I've I've heard people making this claim, I mean, the worst formulation of it is something along the lines of, you know, Asian Americans simply don't matter socially. We're irrelevant and therefore we can be objective, right? We can be object. I think Ronnie Chang said this in his recent Netflix special, which was a big hit. We don't care. So therefore, you know, we'll be objective. Wes Yang said this. He said that the Asian American Is the closest thing we have to an, you know, to an everyman, to a universal man, because we have no social context. We have no identity whatsoever. And Andrew Yang, I think, used this to his advantage because he was a bit of a chameleon and he could, um, he could talk to crowds of, of white supporters and sort of defuse the notion of race, which I saw him do repeatedly. And this notion that he was Asians are somehow above or to the side to kind of existing in this separate dimension of reality in America. And the notion that we were separate and apart from what's going on in America, I think is something that we believe ourselves. And it both gives us a sort of protection and it's also the source of a lot of our cultural frustration. I mean, we always talk about not being seen. And yet, on the other hand, we don't seem particularly eager to jump into the fray either. And so I guess for me, and it's easy for me to say, like I said, if these developments over the past week or so are of um, concern in terms of your safety, in terms of the safety of um, those around you, that depend on you, who depend on you, I would say it is easy for me to say this, but I think it's also true that it really eases the burden a bit in terms of my own fears and frustrations to understand how central, how central the, the issues that we're facing so personally really are. Uh, that in the inflection point that was the Trump victory in 2016 and in the inflection point that was the beginning of his conflict with China and reframing the global order as that of a fight between the U.S. and China. Make no mistake, that's what's going on. And in the inflection point of the COVID-19 outbreak and in the inflection point of being an Asian American in this time, uh, I think is also very exciting in a way, right? Not exciting in a entertaining way, but to the extent that the Asian American discourse is about not wanting to be marginalized, not wanting to, you know, not wanting to be invisible well, you got what you asked for. I mean, nobody said that that was going to be a good thing. But it is what we asked for in a way. And and I think it's a thing that will help us as people uh, grow a little in terms of assimilating into this culture. Which is also something that we've long wanted but felt... Frustrated by, what's my role here? What's my what part do I play? You know, what's my significance? I feel like I'm not a part of the mainstream. Um, but when you you know the 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 wisdom, the conventional wisdom is um, you know be careful what you wish for, because I think we've got all of that now. I think we've achieved all of that. Um, but it's what we wished for and what we got. Uh, are two very different things. So I think we're confronted with that right now. And I think though, in a way, it's good that we got it. um, Because all of these things were simmering the whole time. And we were keeping a lid on it while also wanting to peek into it. And that I think limited us as people in terms of what we cared about, what our identities were, all these things you know, what our lives were, how big or small our lives felt. And I think a lot of us felt that our lives were very small. And this event, I think if you're fearful of it, or if you're worried about it and you just want it to go away and you don't want to think about it and keep your head down, I can understand that. But I think you also then have to, in order to maintain a certain... Consistency, internal consistency that won't keep you up at night. If that's the approach you want to take, I think you also have to accept that all those things that Asian people say they want, you don't really want. You don't really want to be seen. You don't really want to be, um, relevant. You don't really want to be assimilated. You want to be marginalized. You want to be hidden you want to be foreign to the whole thing. Um, unfortunately, we don't get to choose the terms by which we merge into the fast lane, right? I think we've tried that for decades. I want a blockbuster movie. I want Crazy Rich Asian. I mean, what did any of this really do? I mean, I think ultimately this is the opportunity. You know, the... um the fake Chinese saying, which doesn't exist, is that um, crisis and opportunity to present themselves at the same time and uh, whatever the fuck that fake saying is. But there's a, even though it's not really a Chinese thing, it is, I think, true in this case, which is funny because they, in that the whole thing, we're not real Chinese. Um, but let's go with a fake Chinese saying, uh, because I think in the crisis, there is an opportunity um, to really understand what it feels like to be front and center. And I think it's worth it's worth thinking more deeply and and digging deeper into it and really coming to terms with how you feel about it and what it means to you. And I can share with you what it means to me. I'm not saying this is what it necessarily means to anyone else, but I think the bill has fucking come due. Uh, here in this country, and I don't mean with respect to just us, but I mean, as a whole, um, the fact that this would happen at this particular moment in time, in this particular, not just during the election season, but at this particular moment in time where we're heading into the debate tomorrow between Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden you know, it's just remarkable how nature has forced the hands, uh, forced the hand, um, of sort of the deepest political questions in existence in America. Um, for example, you know, the rights of people to have healthcare. It could not be, con- it, there, there can't be a more, urgent and pressing test of that proposition than this, you know, this particular issue at this particular time. And I think in the domestic realm, in terms of the politics of it, I think it is time for Asian Americans to really consider tacking harder to the left. And I think, I don't know, I don't know if this is a general feeling out there among Asians, but that taking hard left positions and advocating for things like socialism in America seems anathema to a lot of us, not to my family. And so this is something that I've learned by talking to a lot of other Asians, but a lot of, a lot of us come here with an inherent tendency towards conservatism, which I understand. Again, it goes towards a, a notion of, I think, thinking small, thinking safe, which I'm not denigrating um because we came here to as i think someone said i think will in that last pod which i really really enjoyed will who i guess is among the um posh people of uh uh cambridge now but can't can't hide his liverpool roots is that you know we're just trying to survive that first generation's here to to survive that second generation wants to thrive and we really suspected, at least my generation did, and I'm 41, Gen X, that Thrive meant to succeed, that Thrive meant to get the best possible education you could get, get the best possible career you could get. At the very pinnacle, break out of the whole rat race and do something truly exceptional, you know, break into media, break into the arts, break into, you know, even break into electoral politics. Um, but I think that's changed for young people, you know, with the times that thriving now, uh, might mean something different and doing this pot has put me in touch with a lot of younger people, especially like in their twenties and stuff. And they're, you know, they're so relatable to me as people in, in the sense of like, I feel like they're, you know, um, not not in, not much different than I was when I was their age but their values or the the way they see the world seems to be so radically different than it was when I was their age coming up in the 90s and 2000s and they're really pushing in in I think for the formation of some political identity some sort something to you know something to rally around not just something, about themselves or their own career or their own path, uh, but to take part in something more collectivist in nature and to um, maybe not in a single stroke, you know, try to change things, but be a part of a movement or be a part of an effort in which they can contribute. And I've seen that and, and I totally understand why they do it. And I think they should be doing it because that's where this country is heading. It's heading towards, um, some unavoidable changes and some drastic ones and i think this event this pandemic could not make that any more stark especially on the issue of socialized medicine because as you can see when trump got up there and paraded the ceos of lab corp and quest diagnostics and cvs and all this shit, you see you got a glimpse of what the current system and the system, as it's been for the past, uh, you know, at least going back at least to the '80s, has been truly a system of corporate domination. And I think it's unavoidable. And, and like I'm talking to you as someone who um, worked within the um, the federal government during Obama's time, working on. Um, the Dodd Frank Wall Street reforms, and I voted for Hillary, and I was a very mainstream dem. I was a very typical Asian American when it came to my political beliefs, uh, and I still cling on to those beliefs to an extent. But I realize that they're just obsolete now. They're it's it, th- that that vision can't win in America anymore. People aren't people either. Both are not willing to live under that anymore, and they're also deluded in thinking that the severe degree of dislocation and change that has occurred over the past two, three decades has left those ideas stale and obsolete. And it is time absolutely that we push for change and change is going to come. I think we're looking at either on the one side, the sort of fascist tendency of America to want to blame a foreigner, a foreign enemy, just sort of the rallying cry of fascism which is this belief that we live in essentially a perfect system, but that there's disturbances being brought by a sort of invading or alien force, which was the same doctrine of, say, the Nazis, that the Germans had a system that worked, that was perfect, except that it was being corrupted by a Jewish presence. Um, and I think that we don't have anything quite as coherent as, of as at circulating in the mainstream, but I think the problem is that if you really read the words, and I do suggest that you go read the words of uh, our dear leader, Mike Pence, uh, that is the organizing doctrine behind the emerging far-right in America, the emerging, not emerging, I mean, they're in power, but the sort of emerging worldview of the far-right, um, which is completely and unabashedly centered idea that it is the Chinese who are the, the invading foreign Jews under this sist- restorative system known as economic nationalism. A term that we haven't heard in a while, but still seems to be really influential at the very, very pinnacle of American power. Economic nationalism sounds a bit like Nazism, um, and this is taking place in an environment where there isn't really a general social ethic of pushing back against Sinophobic racism. Right? We don't. We don't. We think of xenophobia as several degrees removed and below that of something like anti-Semitism so it's not taken seriously there isn't you know when you say there's xenophobic attacks or there's an anti-asian attack or something like that americans don't and the media doesn't react with horror the same way we would say if we were to see a swastika um spray painted in the hallway of a school um what 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 symbol would raise the alarm what symbol of anti-Asian racism would would, sim- would signal the alarm the way that does? I don't think it exists. So I think we're vulnerable. And I think at the same time, there is another contingent in America that's pushing in the opposite way or pushing against it, which is to say, no, the problem isn't the foreigner. The problem isn't some invading outside force. The problem is of our own doing. The problem is the ways in which we Externalize all problems to preserve a corrupt system that benefits a few at the expense of many. And I think these are, and you know, I don't know if those that sounds like a radical thing, but I think it's just patently true at this point. And I think if you can't see that, then you're not really going to be able to understand as an Asian American what's happening to you and to us. And so, the the fact that the pandemic and the national emergency oh, was declared on Friday it comes at a point where Biden has what still amounts to a small lead I think is ahead by maybe a hundred ten delegates or something maybe less um in a race to what something around two thousand delegates at a time when everyone basically had written Bernie Sanders off the fact that his central his Absolute central piece of legislation is calling for a, a systematic, um, reform of the United States internally. You know, compare that to Trump saying that this is all the foreigners' fault. It's all the Mexicans and the Chinese and all that stuff. They're coming into our borders. We're going to build a wall. The Sanders campaign stands for something very different, which is that the problem exists here and we need to fix the problem here. There's, It's not that we need to prevent invaders from coming in. we got to fix the problem here. And the coronavirus could not symbolize this more. Is the problem that a virus came? Is the problem that we have borders that these viruses can cross and that they don't respect? As if viruses could respect the border. Or is it that we don't have a society that's set up with the institutions and the resources at ready to handle something that we know was coming. I mean, we made a movie about this in 2011. Like we saw this coming. There's a YouTube video right now that's trending. Um, it's Bill Gates talking about how we need to prepare for a global pandemic. And he basically describes the coronavirus outbreak, the COVID-19 outbreak. And this was four years ago. And so we, it's it's not lack of knowledge. It's just lack of the political will to actually do something about this. And it could not be framed or symbolized more perfectly. And at a better time, or at a more, not better time, but at a more critical time than two days before the first two man debate between Biden and Sanders. And I find that remarkable. I find the timing that nature has had in this absolutely remarkable that it would force, it would force the hand on some of, the, like I said, the deepest political issue of the day, which is, is our healthcare system, serving the people and do we need to make systemic changes to our beliefs and ideologies in order to allow a change in that system that will make us survivable viable um, you know as a society so that's one that's the domestic side That that's how I contextualize what's going on and then number two is the international side of this and I think the international side of this is where things get particularly tricky for us Asian Americans because we have to contend with this issue of loyalty. You know, it really pains me as a Chinese American that take the fact that Italy is dealing with this right now. And I have no ill will towards the Italians at all. I've been to Italy several times and I think it's a beautiful country and I think it's full of wonderful people. The thing with Italy though, is that we typically see italy in america as essentially a white country which it's not but because we're rather ignorant of europe and we have a lot of italian americans here who we consider white that italy is largely seen as um or is assumed to be um an ally and not just any ally but sort of like a client like a subservient ally we think of europe as really anchored in the western the most western part of europe which is like not even on the coast of europe it's in the uk but france is more european uh than say germany and germany is more european than say poland and it kind of shades into russia which shades into um, china which is the polar opposite you know the further reach furthest reach uh, or the furthest degree of difference that you can reach. And we view Italy as sort of this appendage to, um, the quote Western world, which essentially is a euphemism, I think, for white, white, the white world, the white empire. And, um, the heart of that we assume is here in America. And so we view Italy with this sort of fondness, right? Like there was this video of all these, um, romans um, who are now quarantined in their apartments singing songs at each other from their balconies in unison and the same thing you know And this was put on vox as well this is so beautiful and the same thing happened in wuhan and it was the same video of all these um people shouting from their balconies you know sort of these cheers of um sort of they were saying uh wuhan. like they were saying you know Rough translation meaning, you know, um, go Wuhan, right? Just, just cheering a general sense of optimism. But that was interpreted by the, you know, virtually the same incident was interpreted, um, as a protest, um, of, You know, essentially prisoners, Chinese prisoners who had been imprisoned by their government and were shouting um, cries of protest. So it was a sign of social breakdown, whereas in Italy, it was the same event was seen as a sign of solidarity. And we always, if you notice in the news, we always draw, there's a curtain that's being now drawn along old lines between the sort of communist Russian Sino Russo part of the world and us. And we think that the world is really just a division between us and them. It's just divided between these tent poles of power. We view Italy as ours. But I noticed that, you know, what's going on in the world is really interesting. And this coronavirus, the, the COVID 19 pandemic has really brought this out in a way that's remarkable because just today, uh, or just yesterday, there was news that the, the U.S. had, um, under, had, uh, launched an airstrike against some, uh, military targets in Iraq. And it's worth noting, by the way, that we don't have military bases in Iraq. We just have a giant, uh, we have a giant embassy. Um, but we, it's a it's a military installation, but we launched an attack in Iraq, and um, if you follow the news, obviously 2020, which is turning out to be a pretty cursed year for us, um, started out with um, the killing of General Soleimani, or is General General Soleimani, and that really has started to turn Iraq back into sort of a hot zone, and we killed him in Iraq, and. It's just remarkable because the news today was that the U.S. had um, launched a strike. The New York Post actually said that the, uh, the uh, Iranians were asking for a, quote, U.S. slapdown. And that we were celebrating the idea that America would just go bitch slap them. And that, this, is, this is how we think as a people now. The New York Post headline. And at the same time, the news, if you look for it, it's not reported in the Western media. Um, the Chinese just recently flew a delegation of um, medical professionals and experts who had experience fighting um, the, the coronavirus along with tons of medical supplies to Iraq. Same thing, they just sent it to Iran as well and to Italy. Um, and there's a team in Cuba now as well. Um, and so you see this really stark divide between the way um the u.s has presented itself internationally as the bully that everyone has said we are because that's the only way that we've grown used to sort of managing everything it's just kind of dictating turn you know we love to tell people hey, here's the reality here's how it works i mean go back to um well let like go back to the attitude of someone like say donald rumsfeld or whatever i mean we lectured to the world how's it gonna you're either with us or you're against us is the um The growing sensibility, the the growing foreign policy sensibility that reigned since, um, as far as long as I really remember, to be honest, um, versus, um, China, which has unbeknownst to us because you won't see it covered in our media, but with the internet, it's quite obvious. Um, and there's a you know you don't have to rely on Chinese media you can rely on Southeast Asian media or you can rely on Indian media or Italian media for that matter that um, China has presented a very different face to the world and it's hard for us as Asians because I think we really really on the issue of China I feel like at the heart if you dig down to it we have racial identity and loyalty issues at stake here. And we love to make exceptions of ourselves. We like to say that we are not part of Asia anymore. We're part of this country. Or I feel a connection to Asia, but I don't feel um, any political allegiance to it or anything like that. Um, and I'm not saying you should feel any political allegiance to China. Certainly not. Um, if you don't want to. I don't. But to take a side in this as if you have to, as if you have to pick a side, so to speak, um, is, you know, part of the racial and political ideology of this country. Because if you were an Italian American, you wouldn't have to make that choice. You could openly and proudly say that you loved Italy and you love the Italian culture and you wouldn't have to feel like you had to run away from your Italianness, or that you would have to make an exception of yourself. Um, the truer of an Italian you are, the more celebrated you would be here. No way. And for the Chinese American and for an Asian, since this is about racialization in America and not just nationality, um, Unfortunately, we are sort of burning with that choice and we've always wrestled with that choice. We've always wrestled with our identity within the confines of that choice and we never thought that maybe the choice itself was the problem, that there was a larger political context that it, should we become aware of it, we realized that this choice need not be a choice at all. And we could understand that the the very fact that we're making an enemy out of China that we are demonizing any country that assumes to, that presumes to do business with China, that we, that we've divided the world in this particular axis and we've got to pick a side here is the expression of a particular ideology in America. That's consistent with someone like Trump. It's a fascist idea to see the world that way. And I think, You can tell because, I mean, the doesn't take much to realize that it's not about dictatorship and it's not about autocracy and authoritarianism and human rights. And you don't have to um, really interrogate whether China is a human rights violator or not. It doesn't really matter because we know for a fact that we will sidle up and defend and do business with and um, cover up. The human, the known human rights abuses of close allies. Um, so, the fact that we'll, we'll tolerate the same kind of thing, you know, the same kind of political ideologies and structures and behaviors that we accuse China of doing, and which we pin all of our antagonism on that. Um, it doesn't bother us with respect to a country like Saudi Arabia or with respect to a country like Israel, even though we know about it. And so I think this larger conception of the international politics and how it dovetails with, um take a Bernie Sanders, who is a lot less committed to the notion that um, the U.S. needs to be the global policeman, that we have to see the world as divided between our sphere and the Sino-Russo sphere or the communist sphere and going back to all these antiquated, I mean, literally like 1950s conceptions of the world, which are just so fucking outdated. I mean, if you use your passport if you travel around the world, if you go if you have relatives in Asia and you go see them. I mean, you're not flying across some iron curtain, you know, when you land it's not like an alien world full of people with, you know, insanely different values and conceptions of human rights and stuff. I mean, I I just came back from China. Um and I I don't I frankly have more problems with um America than I mean, I'm not as aware of what's going on in China um, on the day-to-day. But I can tell you for sure that we are a society that's more tense, that's more dangerous, that's more ripe for something wrong to happen. There's a lot of aggression in our society and a lot of danger. And I think we have to confront that without constantly knee-jerk contextualizing that to, but China this, or but China that, which is how things are going these days. Every problem we have uh, becomes a China whataboutism now. And so I think that for me as a Chinese American, I refuse to even accept that question as to whether does my, you know, you know, because if you, if you are a left, Left leaning person in this country means you're critical of it. Does that mean that as an Asian American, um, my loyalty is in question? You know, because a lot of the things that we're pushing for on the left uh, run counter to the dominant American narratives around the free market and around capitalism and the role of the state. And we're getting to very sort of like fundamental, deep level questions here. And I don't think that there should be a problem at all with Asian Americans to, to say, um, no, I want to see more socialist policies in place uh, because that's good. I think it's clear that a lot of the problems that we f- we face as Asian Americans at bottom are caused by the tendency of America towards a more fascist, domestic, political structure and a more imperial, um, international structure. And we got to pick a side here. That's what I keep coming back to is we can't just talk about Asian American issues in this sort of Petri dish of the stinky lunch table. And, you know, we're just this sort of side hustle, the side game, the side piece of America. And how do we get straight with this, uh, you know, depressing reality? Um, it was never the reality and it's not the reality anymore. It's certainly not the reality anymore, but you got to make a choice and you got to start thinking about and contextualizing yourself to what's actually going on and not in vague abstract terms, but in pay attention to politics mainstream politics, pay attention to foreign affairs, the mainstream discussion around foreign affairs. And we're all a part of that. And I think it's uncomfortable for Asian Americans for some reason to say that we and our lives are intimately tied to those things and that therefore we need to form an opinion. Uh, Everything I'm seeing online is great. Asian leftist Twitter, I'm glad I found it. I'm glad I'm a part of it because I think there is a coherent political identity. It's not just some, it's not a a la carte political identity. Okay. It's not just, I grew up this way or I have these opinions and therefore I'm going to be, these are the issues I hold or that's not what I mean. I mean, I don't mean an a la carte political identity or, you know, I'm a, this kind of guy, I'm a, I'm a fiscal conservative and a social liberal. I don't, I mean, it's deeper than that now. And I think, if you care to pay attention to what's really going on out in the world and in our country, you'll see that there is a clear dividing line forming. And you need to find yourself on one side or the other of that. Because clinging, either clinging to this conception of the moderate middle or clinging to this conception of this will pass or clinging to the conception of we Asian Americans got our own thing going on, we Asian Americans don't matter. They never cared about us. Why should I care about it? All these things. Um, I just don't... Like I said, you can bury your head in the sand or you can go off into the corner, but then don't expect all the things that Asian Americans have ever complained about to get any better. Um, so my takeaway from all this is about an hour now. I'm surprised I went this long. My takeaway from all this is... Uh, is um, my summary of all this is, 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 has, is the following, which is we can address all of the things we've ever talked about in terms of Asian American identity, but it's not going to be easy. And it's not going to be how we envisioned it. And it's going to be happening all around us right now and for the foreseeable future. And your life is going to change.